said, Brent, I know the Sharks need a chaplain desperately right now, but um, we just can't afford to send you to go do that. Um, Now, what actually happened is that Brent was brought on as the church plant resident uh, almost two years ago. And the idea was to bring on a, a young guy who showed great promise coming out of seminary and to give him experience and training so that we could send him out to plant a church. We didn't know if that would be in the area here or that would be uh, further, far afield or what it would be. And we got uh, partway through this church plant residency and we were kind of knocking on doors and trying to figure out where God was leading. And we had a, 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 a heart-to-heart kind of come-to-Jesus meeting. I remember it vividly. And, and we, we sort of said, well, what happens if God's not opening the doors and we're not supposed to do this? We, we don't want to just go off on our own. And so, you know, we, we kind of came to that point where, you know, it would be okay if we don't end up planting a church right now. Um, and, 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 and this has still been a great learning lesson, this residency that he's done. And, and we're just going to wait for God's leading. And so we sort of, sort of set it down like that. And then right afterwards, of course, right, when you sort of surrender and you say, okay, I'm not going to make this happen, God started to open some doors for a unique ministry, and we've been pursuing that over the last months. And Brent is going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. But what has initially happened in the opening of those doors was that, first of all, uh, Brent, through uh, the work that his wife is doing as a chef in San Francisco, Brent and Sarah were offered an incredible place to live at a very low price right in the heart of the city of San Francisco. And so uh, we began to think and pray about that. Shortly thereafter, uh, our district, which um, supports the churches, free churches in Northern California, hired a new district superintendent. And the, the, the couple that, that was hired, uh, Neil and Judy Brower, came with a real heart for San Francisco. In fact, so much so they're willing to to kind of move into San Francisco, which is in the corner of our district, so it means a lot more travel for them, but they just had this heart and this vision. And also, being church planters, they had a heart to mentor another church planter. And so Neil and Judy moved to San Francisco and started to do uh, ministry there and have been continuing to do ministry there. And, and, and Brent and Sarah and Neil and Judy have really hit it off and, 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 and Brent and Sarah are being mentored by them, and Neil and Judy have lists of hundreds of people that they're reaching out to and trying to minister to. And so, again, we saw that as another open door. And then, uh, lastly, a relationship that's been going on with Solano Community Church over a number of years between myself and the director of, of city uh, urban uh, ministry in Berlin um, through the EFCA, the Free Church Uh, We've had a relationship for years and years, and we started to talk more and more about uh, how we could partner together and began to see some synergy between how ministry is doing done done in Berlin and how we could maybe do it in San Francisco. And uh, it felt like our missions agency was coming alongside to really support this work in San Francisco. Uh, And then there's been a lot of interested parties who want to maybe join us in this. And so all of that sort of led us to the conclusion that we need to step through this opening doors in faith and, and just see what God will do. And so what we've solidified on, what we've come to at this point, is that we are going to go into San Francisco with the, the goal of making disciples first and foremost. Because you can't have a church without disciples. Uh, and so we're not just going to go and, and try to start a church immediately. We're going to go and try and make disciples. And that work is already beginning and ongoing. And then when you gather a group of disciples, if the Lord continues to, to lead in that way, then you have a church. 
And so if that happens, then we'll work on actually starting a church or, or maybe a couple of multiple churches in San Francisco. So that journey is beginning in the next little while, and we are going to be supporting Brent and Sarah. The church council has been working through this prayerfully, and the leadership team talking about it prayerfully. We hope to be an ongoing base of support for Brent and for Sarah and for the whole team. He'll continue to be a part of our ministry here in various ways. We haven't worked all the details out, but we know he's going to be part of our our staff prayer and and spending time with us on Tuesdays. And then I uh, understand, I believe, that there will be people uniquely gifted in this congregation who will be able to support the work there uh, in all kinds of ways. Um, And there will be different ways that we will be talking about on that. We're going to be providing ongoing financial support uh, for this ministry. And uh, we also hope to send anyone who really senses a tug on their heart that this is where God wants them to be and to be a part of this ministry. We want to be open to that as well. And then lastly, we're going to be praying, of course, corporately and uh, praying for what God is doing there. Um, This is part of our cultivating our heart of multiplication. Um, What God has for this congregation, you know, doesn't end here, but uh, Lord willing, will continue uh, reaching outwards and multiplying what, the work that he's doing. And so, very excited about that. So, I've asked Brent, I didn't want you to feel like he was just coming up here and saying, Hey, I'm going off on my own. Now, this has been a real corporate process for us to, to do on this journey. I've asked him to come and preach uh, out of a text that would, 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 would share with us sort of the heart of, of why and, and what we're doing in San Francisco. So, Brent, please. So I would love to be a chaplain, but um, I hate to say it, I think the Warriors probably need a chaplain the most right now. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the Warriors, so don't take that the wrong way. Uh, I would want to be supporting and encouraging and coming alongside them in their loss. So Um, why don't we pray, uh, and then we'll go to scripture here this morning. Lord, we uh, ask you to be with us this morning. We've already, I've already, you know, I know I've already sensed your spirit uh, being here as we've worshipped, as we've prayed, and as we fellowship together, Lord. Um, we ask as we open up this text of Scripture that your Spirit would illuminate the truth in it, uh, in our hearts, in our minds. Break down any barriers that are between us and understanding what you have to teach us this morning, God, and just give us a unified heart of compassion for the lost. Um, so, Lord, we just ask you to lead us and teach us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be um, in Matthew chapter 9 this morning, so we're actually taking a break. It's really cool, actually, to see uh, how God's woven together. I didn't necessarily know what Matt was going to be sharing, and it's cool to see how God has totally woven together the text and the theme and stuff that's been shared this morning. It's really cool already, so I'm excited about what uh, God's teaching us already. So Matthew chapter 9, we're taking a break from our series in the book of Luke. We only have a couple more weeks left. Um, we're about to finish the book of Luke, and we're going to take a break this week to, to really um, hone in on a text that I feel like uh, is a foundation of something that, that God's calling us to his community that Andrew's, that Andrew's uh, described. So Matthew chapter 9, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have some folks that are going to be able to pass out Bibles, um, and if you don't have one and you want to take this Bible home with you, you can keep it. So Matthew chapter 9 is the text we're in, and it's on page 694 in that white covered Bible if you get one handed out to you. So uh, Matthew chapter 9. So we're jumping right into the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, and I don't want to just jump straight in without giving you some context to where we are. It's going to help for the meaning of what's going on here. 
So if you're in Matthew chapter 9 and you were to flip back a couple pages like to Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8, you're going to see that Jesus has launched his public ministry, gathered disciples, and now he's gone about teaching. You see the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And then he starts healing and doing miracles in chapters 8 and 9. And we come to this text at the end of chapter 9, and Jesus really summarizes some of the things that he's been doing. He's got his teaching ministry where he's describing the gospel of the kingdom. And then he has his miracles and healings, which are sort of confirming the power that he has and the truthfulness of what he's teaching. And so then he launches into this text. So let's read uh, together Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. This is the word of God. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's the word of God. I want to talk about two parts of this passage. The first verse, if you just look back at the text quickly, verse 35, it just describes what I gave you as the context. Jesus was going throughout the whole region of Galilee, which is near this lake in the northern part of Israel. So he's going around all these little villages, and he's teaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing people. And he comes to this moment where he pauses, and there's two parts that I want to talk about. The first is in verse 36. Jesus says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I want to camp on this for for a few minutes and hone in on the heart of Jesus in this verse, in in this passage. And I think we need to dive in and unpack that a little bit because Jesus says that he has compassion. It says that Jesus had compassion on the people and that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So people are coming up to Jesus with all these illnesses, physical problems, uh, there's demon possession. If you look in the previous verses that are going on, these are things that are pretty obvious that are problems with people. Okay, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. And Jesus looks at them in the midst of their physical problems and he sees these crowds of people and it says he has compassion because they're like lost sheep. Okay, he didn't say, I have compassion on them because they really are hurting because they're like have leprosy, their arms falling off, or they're really in pain. It says he has compassion on them because they're like lost sheep. It's going to a whole nother level as he looks at them. So this really taps into a larger Old Testament theme. And so what I want you to do is, okay, like put your seatbelt on. We're going to do like a couple Old Testament passages here from the prophets because Jesus is tapping into this larger theme of what it means for God to be the shepherd of his people. And what the problem here that Jesus is pointing out really gets illuminated, especially in the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So in the prophet Ezekiel, we're going to look at one text here. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 to 6. It's going to be on the screen, so you can follow along as I read it. Listen to what Ezekiel says about the people leading the Israelites about 700, 800 years before Jesus. The the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with, with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth and none with none to search or seek for them. Ezekiel is crying out against the abuses of the leaders of God's people many, many generations before Jesus. I think Jesus sees somewhat with Ezekiel's eyes when he looks at people, and he sees really what's going on. Okay, now, what's to be done about it? Jeremiah chapter 23. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It's amazing. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 to 6. It's going to be on the screen again if you want to follow along. This is what God is going to do about this problem, and Jesus is, is following right in line with this theme. It says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. And then check this out. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them. They will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Amen to that. Jesus steps into this theme and becomes its crescendo. You can see what Jesus is tapping into now. He sees the heart, he sees people with a heart of compassion because he recognizes that they are God's sheep that are lost, and he's the shepherd who's going to bring them back. We see this so clearly in John 10 in the Gospels. He calls Jesus the good shepherd. The sheep know his voice. He lays down his life for his sheep. There's this theme all across Scripture is God as the shepherd of his flock, and Jesus steps right into it. Now, let's put this in our context. When you look around you, do you see people as lost sheep? Okay, our culture is dominated by self-help strategies, right? Coping mechanisms of all kinds, addictions of all kinds, all kinds of entertainment. There's so many different ways we can distract ourselves from looking at people the way that God sees them. Now, I'm the first to admit that this is hard and that I don't do this, okay? We have to take a look at another part of Jesus' heart in order to really dig deeper and see what this means for us. So take a look back here at verse 36. It says that Jesus looked on the crowds and had compassion for them. Now, this word compassion literally means a gut-wrenching sorrow over the plight of the people. 
it, it, the word literally means something about your, your internal organs being wrenched and twisted, like painful. So Jesus looks on people, and he has a gut-level reaction to it. Now, this is where it gets real for us, I think. We all walk through life, and there's crowds of people that are suffering. I don't know if you feel weary about it or feel jaded sometimes. There are crowds of people that are lost without Jesus. So how do you look at them? I'll tell you how I usually look at people. I usually just look down. You might feel like this sometimes. It's easier to ignore or it's easier to distract yourself. I think that that's maybe something in the American church today that the distractions, maybe Satan's primary tool of keeping us ineffective is distracting us with the comforts of our world. Now, I'm not saying this to me berating you to do things because I said, like, I feel this at, a, at such a heart level of this struggle of how do you look on people with the heart of Jesus. So just yesterday, let me give you an example. Just yesterday, we were going to, my wife and I and our daughter were going to go to a, a new parent meetup group in San Francisco where we just go and hang out with other people with kids. And I woke up in the morning and I was super grumpy. Ask Sarah. It was really, it was really bad. I was really cranky. I didn't want to go. Like everything, any, like any little thing, I was just mad that there wasn't the cereal I wanted, that there wasn't any juice to drink, that like the clothes that I wanted weren't washed, and like every single thing like was somehow really wrong, right? So it's, I think it was coming out of the fact that I just didn't, I don't think I really wanted to go and I just wanted to sit there and like watch golf on TV or something. I don't know what, I don't know what I wanted to do, but in a way, I could just feel this tugging in my heart and this and this um, struggle of being around and and being somebody who is the presence of Jesus for people who don't know Him, and feeling that at such a heart level. Now, what I'm not saying, let me don't hear this. It's, this is not about trying harder to have compassion for people. Okay, I want to bring us back to the gospel here, right? That's not the heart of Jesus to try harder. It's, it's not one more thing to feel guilty about. All right? That's not the gospel. The gospel says that we can recognize ourselves as one of the lost sheep who heard the good shepherd's voice and was called home by the grace of God. We feel a gut-wrenching compassion for people because we know what lostness feels like. D.A. Carson says it this way. He says, we're just poor beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We have experienced God's grace. That's where the heart of Jesus for compassion for people comes from. We learn a lot about Jesus' heart from this because Jesus not only heals people, he goes through and actually heals people's physical illness, but he also looks on people with a heart of compassion and care and love. And some of you need to hear this this morning. Jesus has the power to save, but he loves you dearly. At this gut, heart level, like he loves you dearly. And he loves all of those people that you know who don't know Jesus as dearly as he loves you. He loves them more than you ever could. 
Okay, we need to move on to the second part of our passage, and this is verses 37 and 38. So let's look back at the text. Then he said to the disciples, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is whose harvest is it? The last two words of verse 38. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's so easy when we think about people who don't know Christ to slip into a a savior complex or or some way that you feel this burden that you have to save people. Just drop it now. This is something that's a constant struggle in my heart. It's not up to us to save people. It's God who saves. And he's using you as a laborer. Now, the command in verse 38, he says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Now, Jesus is modeling exactly what should be the outcome of a compassionate heart. Okay, if you have a heart of compassion and you see people as Jesus does, there's so many reactions we could do. We could galvanize ourselves and resolve that I'm going to go and solve this and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. You could feel guilty that, man, I I should have said something to that person. Maybe we could put together a whole strategy and a plan to evangelize the whole world or your city or whatever. What Jesus is showing us is that a heart of compassion, a heart for people, should drive you to prayer. It's God who saves. It should drive us to prayer. So he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. We need to pray. We need to pray that God saves people. This is where God's been working on my heart recently. Uh, I think God's been transforming me to have more of a heart of Jesus for people by making it a habit of praying for people by name. It's something I've learned in the last year. When we put a name and a face to the people who don't know Jesus, it's, not, it's no longer this general crowd, okay? It becomes real. So I want to give you an illustration. Um, just last night, we have some friends um, named Dean and Mary. That's not their real names, but... Uh, I don't know how to do this kind of stuff. Like, do you tell somebody's real name? I don't know. So our friends Dean and Mary, um, we've been getting to know them over the last few months, and they invited us over to their house um, for dinner last night. And so we went over to their house, and we have kids that are about the same age, and so they were playing, like, basically just sitting there on the floor. Um, (laughs) So we... The, uh, the guy, Dean, came home, and he had been at work on a Saturday um, and had been studying for some exam that he had to, to pass for some credential, and he completely bombed it, okay? So he came in, and he was just, he literally said, he literally said to us when he came in, I feel completely devastated by what happened today. And we're like, oh. So fortunately, he's like really sociable, so it wasn't like super awkward dinner, <laughs> But I felt God tugging on my heart, and this, I, I just felt like the Spirit was saying, you have to say something to him about that to, to let him know that, to let him get a better perspective on that. So we went through the whole dinner, and I was going to say it at the beginning, but it wasn't the right time because, I don't know, I just chickened out. But it was, most, it was probably the Spirit helping me to wait longer. <laughs> um, we had a great conversation, and, and I felt like over dinner they could tell that we actually cared about them. And at the end of dinner, so, so he could actually hear what I had to say. 
So we, we were about to leave, and I said to him, I hope you're not too defeated by what's going on at work. And he said, yeah, it's all right. And I said, you know what? Um, that doesn't have to define who you are. I said, don't let it define you. I didn't go any farther than that. I didn't, like, turn it to Jesus at that moment. <laughs> I could have. But it wasn't the right time. But I could see something clicked in his head. It just, I could see in his eyes that that penetrated to some level. And, I, and we walked out of there, and Sarah and I just, on the walk home, just started praying that the Spirit would use that in some way to just tear up his heart. And I don't know if I said it the right way or what, but that's all we can pray because that's his harvest. It's God's harvest, not mine. So I don't know where that's going to go, but that's a story with some real people, and that's where you get to the level of having compassion because I see their faces, and I can pray earnestly that God would send people to save them. They desperately, desperately need Jesus. Now, um, let me give you a little bit more of a description of why I wanted to talk about this passage today. Um, Andrew told a lot of the story. I had, like, written out the whole story here, so we, like, I know, we talked about it. He told me, he, he asked my permission. I said, yeah, you can talk about it. But you've seen how God has opened up a door. And to be honest with you, let me just, I'll just give you my perspective on what Andrew shared. Um, I would have never, I don't know, I don't think I would have ever picked um, planting in San Francisco, like, when I came here two years ago. Like, it still, it still freaks me out. Um, but what I've learned is that God has uniquely opened doors for us to be there, and I can't say no. To give us a place to live, and my wife has a job there, um, friends to live in the city with us, and people keep coming forward. Uh, We have friends that we're making in the city, and God's opening up doors for relationships with our neighbors, and then also we have people just... It seems random, but it's not. God's doing it. That we get emails and phone calls like every week or two, and somebody's like, some pastor or like somebody who's a member of a church in some other part of the country or a part of California, and they say, I don't know, God's been stirring in my heart something about San Francisco, and I can't tell, I don't know why. And so I just talk to him about what we're doing, and I say, call me back in a couple weeks. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm inviting people to join us who want to simply learn how to really love people in San Francisco and pray to God to save them. So uh, let me give you a little bit more of a, a specific description of that. So I think God's uniquely called us to reach San Francisco with sort of a new mindset. I, I'm, I've been less and less convinced that there's a method or a strategy that I can somehow unlock the, the, the problems of San Francisco and have tons of people come to faith. Can't do that. So... Um, what I've learned about San Francisco is that there's about 65% of the city is completely irreligious. 30-some percent um, uh, claim some type of faith. 3 to 4% claim to be evangelical. And I would say 1% to 2% are actually in churches that preach the gospel. So a very small amount. It's a missions field, basically. You all know that. I mean, I, I'm just preaching to the choir mostly, I think, because we all understand the need of, of San Francisco, but here's what I think God's calling us to, and I, I tried to summarize as best I can. This is a work in progress, but put it up on the screen here. Um, I, we envision a collaborative effort under a set of shared values to mobilize every resource God gives us in order to make disciples and multiply churches through the power of the gospel. 
that's the best summary I can give at this point. The, it's a new mindset and it's a different way of approaching things because we want to collaborate and work with anybody who shares our values of gospel-centeredness, of wanting to reach people and let God reap his harvest. Okay? It doesn't have to be our brand. And I try and think of things like this. We need to think kingdom first. We need to think about bride over brand. Right? We need to collaborate with others who share our values, finding open doors for gospel impact in the city, focus on reaching people, making disciples who make disciples, and then we figure out what to do with those people later. So that means, I, I envision this. Wouldn't this be awesome? Somebody comes to faith, and that person shows a gifting that God has given them to shepherd people, and we can train that person to become the pastor in their neighborhood. So we're multiplying multiplying disciples. That's my dream for it. Multiple churches planted across the city. So this is an experiment in sort of missionary style ministry, I guess. You could put it that way. Um, So we want to have a team of people learning how to love, um, being Christ-centered in our gospel lives, letting, figuring out creative ways to help people pursue Jesus. And then we're going to sort of figure it out from there. So um, one or two quick stories on what God's been doing already. I've shared about a couple of our friends. Um, we've been going to this new parent meetup group, my wife and I, and we've been getting to know people who have young children, and they are in such need, because many of them don't have a support network. What we found with people with kids is their families live a long, long way away. Um, they come to San Francisco because they're getting away from something or they're coming there for a job. And many of them just need others that care about them and want to talk about and learn how to parent together. So we've been doing that. Um, that's how we met this couple. And then there's a whole host of names from that group that I've just typed on my notes on my phone to try and remember everybody and keep them straight. But we're praying by name for these people because I see them every week. And I'm learning how to have Jesus' heart when I see them. Um, another thing that's been happening is um, Andrew mentioned that Neil and Judy Brower are, are also in the city, have been there for over a year now. They've made... They've literally met hundreds of people at the dog park. If you've never met their great Dane, George, you got to meet George. Uh, he's pretty cool. Um, George is a great conversation tool. <laughs> George is a cool dog regardless of whether he would attract a crowd or not. But um, they've met hundreds of people. And we've had an opportunity over the last three months. We've had three times we've gotten together at Neil and Judy's apartment. God has just moved in an cr- incredible way to bring together a group of about a dozen people not Christians, we get together and talk about what do you believe about dot, dot, dot. And we've, we've, we've done three different things of these. The rules are you can share what you believe, but you don't have to talk, and you can't be combative or argue with each other. So it's just a way of actually like, hearing what people believe and appreciating them for who they are, that you care about them and you love them. Then they can also see my perspective in some way. So we're sort of tapping into that like, you know, uh, tolerance thing. Um, <laughs> So what's happened is we've talked about what do you believe about a life well-lived? What do you believe about the future of the human race? And then what do you believe about the human ability to change? And the responses are just fascinating with people. But what's the coolest thing that's happening, regardless of the questions, is two of the couples in that group, one, one us and another couple, have young, have little babies, and then two of the couples are pregnant, and then Neil and Judy are like old enough to be the grandparents. So there was one moment where my daughter like crawled over to this other little like almost one-year-old and just went straight up to him and just gave him a big kiss right on the lips. 
and everybody in the group saw this, and it was like this moment, like the spirit descended, and it was like the whole group all of a sudden became one at that moment. It was like everybody laughed, everybody caught each other's eye, and there's like this sense of community, and you can, you can feel it. And when these people uh, leave, they say, this is one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. And we're like, okay, cool. Um, I don't know, we, like I know Neil feels, I, we don't really know what's happening and how this is going to work, but God's doing something there. So I, this is just the beginning, and, I'm, and we don't know really what we're doing in some ways, but I'm humbled to be able to be involved in it in some way. So you've heard me over the last number of months as I preach talk about San Francisco. You know that we live there. Um, Andrew's talked about the process of what's happened of us being there. We're going to call this thing San Francisco Mission or SF Mission or something like that. Um, we're going to be, Sarah and I are going to be raising funds to be there like missionaries. We're just going to, we're going at it like a missionary. Um, but this is where we can, as a community, have the same heart. Because whether it's us in San Francisco as sort of like a missionary outpost of Solano, or it's the East Bay here in Berkeley and Albany and El Cerrito, the heart of Jesus is to look at people with a heart of care and compassion and love and to pray earnestly to God to save them. And I know if you can think right now of people that you know who don't know Jesus, think of their faces and their names. Think of their faces and their names. It should drive you to pray and to plead with God. This pray earnestly word in the text is like plead with God. Like you should close your eyes and think of those people's faces and just My heart is just broken for the fact that these people don't know my good shepherd who has found me and has found his sheep and is gathering them together. As we draw near to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray, to pray for the people you know, to pray for the things that are happening in San Francisco. And this is why this is so important. Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom And this is what we have to offer, lost people. The message of the gospel to people who are harassed and helpless, wandering and lost. There is a king who reigns and a good shepherd who's looking for them. Listen to his voice. Help people hear his voice. This is what it's all about, no matter the context. Let's pray. Lord God, we... Uh, acknowledge in so many ways, and all of us are in so many different circumstances, that we struggle to have your heart for people. Teach us, Lord. Break us down. Let us start to, to think and to pray and to talk about people by name, to picture their faces. We can get so, I know I feel this way, we can get so um, distracted or even just glaze over thinking about the prospect of how many people are hurting out there, Lord. Maybe people in this room are hurting and don't know you. Jesus, you're the good shepherd. You've laid down your life for us. You've laid down your life for those people out there who are lost. Break our hearts, Lord, that we have this deep compassion for people. Give us your heart, Jesus. Amen.